contingent loan from J.P. Morgan on BMS following the payments processors and IT services sector at J.P. Morgan again. I'm really grateful to have Square back as a keynote. It's really something that I look forward to uh, every year. And I know it's a little different with the virtual format, uh, but Square is doing some amazing things to, to level the playing field for both consumers and and for sellers. And really wanted to get an update from, from the team on that. So with us from Square, we got Jack Dorsey, the co-founder and CEO of Square, and Amrita Ujja, the CFO of Square. And uh, hopefully everyone can see us. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Hope quarantine life is treating you all okay. Thanks for having us. That'll be fun. So in terms of format, we'll do like we've done in the past, if that's okay with you guys. We'll do a fireside chat. I thought we'd start with the seller business and then go through some questions there and then dig in on the seller side and then dig in on the cash app business. Um, I've gathered a lot of questions from investors. We'll have a chance to take questions from the audience through the ask a question button on the platform. So feel free to hit that and I'll do my best to manage it. But I think I hopefully will cover a lot of the, the key questions that we've got here. Um, during this uh, session, so but let me let me kick it off maybe for you, Jack. Just you know, thinking about the obligatory COVID nineteen question here, and, and by the way, gotta say it up front, right? Mad props to you for the billion dollar equity donation that you're doing for for COVID relief. That's that's big time, very you know, very very generous. But thinking about it from a Square perspective, what is Square doing from a product and technology standpoint, but also in helping small businesses with access to stimulus, which you're doing a lot of there. You need to give us an update on that to start. Well, I just just to put some color on it, um, you know, every week I, I shadow our sales and our support calls. And uh, we get a lot of questions, certainly about our tools, but a lot of our questions come in the form of more, how do I run my business? Like I, I remember one time I was shadowing a call and Someone called in and said, I have three employees, you know, a coffee shop, and this one employee isn't working out. Have you ever fired someone? How do I fire someone? And um, to me, what that, what that indicates is we're seen more as a partner in terms of like how to build a business, inclusive of the tools, um, but also just general guidance. And we, we've taken the same approach as we thought about COVID. We were just overwhelmed with calls, um, typically with sellers, trying to figure out how do I ship online? And, you know, we've been talking on this on this stage, now virtual stage, for for years about omni-channel being a priority. And when we say omni-channel, we don't mean e-commerce. We mean in-person, we mean offline, uh, we mean marketplaces uh, through our API. Um, really, it's just providing flexibility so that no matter where a customer is coming from, no matter how they're paying, the seller can always make the sale. And a lot of our sellers wanted to make the shift, but you know, these, these folks are busy and they never really got around to it. So this was a forcing function to have them take stock of their entire business and how they're using their tools and shift. So we moved super fast, um, specifically for our, our restaurants. Um, we're not, we're not a company that's just focused on one vertical. We focus on all of them. So restaurants, retail services, and um, we had a lot of people call us just, how do I set up my online store? How do I, how do I ship to um, pick up and delivery? And we built that functionality within the first two weeks of um, the stay-at-home orders that were uh, flowing across the country. Um, and we were able to move really quickly in features, but more importantly, um, our community site, our FAQs, our 
account management, our sales team, our customer support, we're are all armed with information to help sellers uh, smoothly transition. And then the, the big one, I think that um, that will earn us a lot of trust and also future customers is how we handle the second disbursement of PPP. Um, so Square Capital is has been a phenomenal uh, uh, product for us and something we're really proud of. Um, but we saw an opportunity to help um, get funds to our sellers faster than any bank out there. And we heard this directly from folks as well. So um, we started um, dispersing loans to existing sellers in the second round almost immediately. Um, the, the day after it was released, uh, sellers were getting funds into their accounts. And we submitted over $1 billion, uh, in applications to the SBA after we were approved. Uh, on behalf of 70,000 sellers, and um, 60,000 of them have already been approved by the SBA, and that's a total of 650 million. So, the biggest issue for any seller is cash flow. And, you know, we built a gift card directory and we increased our gift card capacity so that people within the neighborhood could buy gift cards to give these sellers cash flow, even though that they, they may have been closed. And then capital loans was a, was a huge one. So. We, you know, we moved fast. Fortunately, we didn't have to add anything to our roadmap. We just had to, you know, bring it forward because a lot of this stuff was later in the year. Um, but we were able to move really quickly and, uh, and deliver. And I, I think we earned a lot of trust and a lot of partnership through that. Yeah, another goodwill part that I think is is really, really important. So, so maybe you could, could dig in on what you're seeing on the ground, if that's okay, and bring you in the conversation on Rita. Just, you know, you have a really unique view on on the health of the SME market, especially in the U.S. Have you seen any recent signs of, of normalization and sort of build on what Jack talked about? What, what structural changes do you think you'll see in your seller business? You've talked about a pretty big TAM, you have 3% market penetration today, but it seems like you're better positioned to win, given what Jack was talking about with building the trust and shifting towards, or towards Omni. Your thoughts on that? Sure. So let's start on what we're seeing in the near term, and then we can talk about what that could pretend for the future um, structurally. In the near term, it's early, um, but we we continue to see SMEs, you know, are still negatively impacted on a year-over-year basis. But the trends that we're seeing in recent weeks are improving and encouraging to us. And let's break that down a little bit. Um, we're seeing sellers um, starting to reopen with growth now in the number of active sellers that we have and in terms of unique buyer cards. And that's really since the second half of April and has continued. Um, we believe it shows that our ecosystem is strongly supporting sellers as they adapt. Um, we're also able to attract new sellers coming onto our platform, and we can talk more about that as well as these government stimulus efforts like the PPP um, and consumer-focused stimulus efforts starting to make an impact. Um, when you look across uh, the, the types of sellers that we serve, we're seeing improving trends across all of our seller types, um, seller sizes and verticals. By vertical, we're seeing the greatest improvements in health and beauty and leisure and entertainment. Um, two of the hardest hit verticals, um, especially early on with shelter-in-place measures. From a product perspective, um, products around card not present um, growth rates continue to improve, um, which again is an indication of the importance of our on 
omni-channel efforts. And from a location standpoint, we're seeing growth improve in regions which still have shelter-in-place restrictions, as well as in regions, um, you know, we see 10 states where shelter-in-place measures have eased, and we're seeing even greater growth in those areas across volume, seller count, and unique cards. Um, to date, those improving trends have primarily been due to our existing sellers adapting, but we're also encouraged by the top of funnel indicators that we're starting to see around new sellers too. From a longer term perspective, we don't know yet what the longer term impact from COVID will be, um, but we do continue to believe that there is a significant opportunity, um, both in the US and around the world um, for our ecosystem to help sellers transition from legacy solutions. Um, as you noted, we released some slides around our TAM in March. Um, and what we've identified in the US alone is 20 million relevant sellers in our target market today who represent six trillion in gross receipts and $85 billion opportunity in the US alone. When you layer in the four markets that we're in internationally, there's an additional 16 billion. So across the markets that we serve, 100 billion of opportunity and multiple levers to drive growth across managed payments, software, financial services, and further expansion geographically. Um, and when we look at where that opportunity sits today in the US and across our other markets, much of it sits on legacy payment platforms. Um, those solutions often lack the modern technology, the cloud-based software, or stitched together that results in a, in a way that's fragmented um, to, the, to the seller and inflexible. So that makes it hard for a seller on a legacy solution to adapt their business in times like this, when they need to sell online or they need to take new forms of commerce. Um, and we believe that we're uniquely differentiated there by the speed of our system, the breadth of the products that we serve, the flexibility because the products work together, um, and we believe that that's even more powerful um, post-COVID um, as it was pre-COVID. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Legacy is for sure going to convert right into your sweet spot of, of software-based selling. Um, so maybe to, to build on that with Ecom and Omni clearly benefiting from this, I saw that you know, Square recently launched an online checkout. Uh, I don't think I have a chance to, to talk to you guys about that yet. So maybe Jack, you want to give us an update on what that that product's about and what problem you're trying to solve with it? Yeah, I, so the so the overriding principle here is accept any form of payment that comes across the counter, whether it be a physical one or a virtual one. And uh, you know, we we have seen a dramatic shift in our business towards online, and this I think is quite favorable to us um, and to our sellers. So we just made it easier to, to sell online for um, so it's going to add a quick mailing to items on other websites or social platforms um, that allow them to complete the transaction without having to do an entire website. Um, you see this on Instagram, you see this in these microsites all over the world. So it's just adding more of that, that flexibility um, and, and making sure that like all of our products work uh, in tune with it. And that, that kind of goes back to the strategy that we have around an ecosystem. We want to build tools that are constantly reinforcing one another. So as we see people get more sales um, online, that fuels uh, what we can do with Square Capital. Um, they're building their business. They might hire employees. They will then use Square uh, payroll 
Um, and this whole model is very, very durable because they may not like what we're doing with payments, but love what we're doing with payroll, uh, the point of sale, and capital. So they don't they, they can fire one product instead of firing the entire company. And that's the durability that we've been seeking across the seller ecosystem for quite some time, but also with the cash ecosystem as well, where they may not have a need for peer to peer, but they want to buy Bitcoin or they want to buy equities. Um, so they can fire the peer to peer aspect, but hire Bitcoin and hire uh, equities. And actually, they want a cash card as well so that they can spend uh, anything they earn on the equities or, or what they earn on, on Bitcoin. So that's the strategy and that's the model, and it, it continues to play out well. And as we add more of these tools, it, it you know creates even more opportunity for, for retention. Right. So before we transition to cash, I did want to ask, just on the underwriting side, right, with something like online checkout and you know given what's going on with the pandemic, your underwriting was a huge advantage to bring aboard, you know, sellers. You also provide square capital um, as well, so you have exposure to transaction losses as well as to to loan losses. So can you catch us up on on what your philosophy is around risk management now? and how that might change going forward? Sure, let me, um, let me break down uh, the question in a couple different ways. First, explain where the risk lies today. Second, what we did in Q1 in terms of reserving for our risk exposure. And then third, looking forward, how we manage that exposure in this new environment. So first, the two types of risks that we see in the seller business, as you mentioned, one around transaction processing, the other around capital loans that we keep on our balance sheet. From a transaction processing perspective, think of it as you know our managed payments offering, which we view to be an important benefit to our ecosystem because we help simplify that payments platform for our sellers versus many competitors who typically push that responsibility around risk for payments back to the merchant. What that means though is during times of macroeconomic stress, um, you would expect to see higher chargebacks related to some business businesses that may struggle to deliver on the goods and services that they um, have already been paid for. Think of it like ticket sales where there's a pre-sale. Um, and a risk for us there is around when a seller ultimately doesn't have the funds to cover a chargeback, as an example. Um, from a capital loans perspective, we've historically kept 10 to 15% of our loans on balance sheet. And for those loans, we both receive the entire economics and we also feel the impact of any losses. Um, what we looked at when we looked at Q1 reserves was um, using our predictive models, looking at probability weighted outcomes and using the current data and trends that we have. We ended up booking reserves across both seller transaction and processing and capital losses that are 4x what we booked on a dollar basis in the fourth quarter, which was more of a normalized quarter. What we're seeing on transaction processing is less than 2x right now in terms of chargebacks, but we, we know we haven't uh, you know, completed this crisis that we're in and there will be further duration and possibly further severity. And so we've reserved at the higher level at 4x. From a capital standpoint, even with the elevated losses that we're assuming here, which is a lot from a loss rate perspective, about 2.5x um, the 4% loss rates that we saw in 2019, even at those levels, we still expect to see profitable unit economics on the loans held on our balance sheet. 
So what are we changing um, as we look forward from a risk management perspective? Um, we've made some adjustments as we look across um, the sellers that we serve and, and the products that we serve. Um, we are assessing risk on an industry by industry basis and by product. As an example, to ensure that sellers have adequate funds in their accounts in the event of chargebacks. We are also using technology and communication to enable our sellers manage disputes and, and chargebacks. We've added SMS reminders to help sellers navigate the process and we see that sellers who respond to our request for information are twice as likely to win disputes than those who don't. Um, and we've launched a contract service that it, uh, provides sellers with a legal framework for longer term, longer payment terms. And those who submit documentation for that framework um, are 40% more likely to win non-fraud dispute than those who don't. So ultimately looking forward, you know, our reserves and our future risk are going to depend on a number of factors. The actual losses that come through on those Q1 reserves, our go forward GPV levels, and the mix of products and verticals that we serve. Um, but we are taking measures to, um, to uh, mitigate our risk exposure as we address these areas. Okay, good. No, that's helpful to go through it again. Look, I mean, I agree, there's a lot of opportunity to get access to, uh, to more sellers through the pandemic and as you manage through it, I'm sure you do the right thing on the, uh, on the other writing side. So let's maybe switch gears and then catch up. Um, we're about halfway through, so I want to make sure we get through some of these questions. So same thing, Jack, I'll start with that. What are you guys doing to help consumers manage through COVID here with Cash Up? Well, yeah, I mean, this is a big one. And again, it comes down to um, what the, uh, the government stimulus program meant. And, and really how complicated it was for, for a lot of folks. So one of the opportunities that we saw was just to really simplify what the stimulus program meant for individuals, um, how to quickly get access to it. And that also meant highlighting some things in our product that were buried before, like um, a direct deposit number. So we um, did a few things. We surfaced the direct deposit in the main navigation so that you can see it immediately. Um, you can hook it up to your employer, but you can also hook it up to the IRS website. Um, we, we built a pretty robust FAQ um, that we also popped in a um, in-app notification so that people could see um, how to hook cash up to the, uh, to the IRS to get their funds instantly and to more importantly use them immediately. Um, our website traffic doubled overnight because of that. Uh, it was spread wide and far and, and we imagine we got a lot of signups just because they saw an opportunity to get um, their money faster. And direct deposit was a was a big deal for us here. We worked with our partner bank to increase the uh, the number of um, direct deposit accounts from three million to fourteen million. And this is important um, for us because people who do use direct deposit tend to be a lot more profitable for us and tend to use a lot more of the services, such as cash card. Um, they use peer to peer a lot more. Um, they buy equities in our investing product. Uh, and they buy Bitcoin. So the more we can um, give people access to a direct deposit number, um, the more they can hook it in, into their financial lives. So with the stimulus, we also saw you know the, the tax refund. So we saw a lot of tax refunds hit cash up. And we're also seeing a lot of unemployment checks hit cash up as well. 
So um, we, we think, uh, you know, the, the team works really fast to prioritize these opportunities. Again, these are things that were on our roadmap, but we just pulled forward. And, uh, and we saw, you know, a lot of, a lot of goodness out of it, both in terms of usage, which we, we reported on the call, but also, uh, trust, um, and, and people seeing us like, Hey, I don't really need anything else. I download this app and I, I've got a card. I've got a way to hook my payroll to it. I've got a way to buy equities, which I never had before. I can buy this weird thing called Bitcoin and that's cool. Um, and I can use this card as an ATM. So what, you know, what else, what else do I need? And, and that's what informs our roadmap or one of those critical functions that, um, that help us kind of replace a bunch of trips to a, to a bank branch. I think, you know, when we spoke to the regulators and they did appreciate how quickly a lot of the fintechs you included moved to, you know, to help those get access to their funds. And like you said, it opened the doors up for, a lot more product to be utilized here, but I'm curious as you think about, you know, I hate to always go back to the TAM, but I did study the slides before this uh, this session. Um, is the profile, the demographic of the user now that you pulled forward different than maybe what you thought of at this point in the cycle? I know you talked about, I think I wrote down your 60 billion opportunity, less than 2% penetrated. Detail probably don't matter, but has it changed your thinking in terms of the type of user that you're, you're bringing in and the quality? Well, I, I can start with this by saying that um, we we have a very mainstream um, customer on yeah. Kesha, um, and uh, evidence of this is um, I, I've talked about this on the call, maybe on this on the stage report, but that the number of um, hip hop songs that include the phrase Cash App or even named Cash App is pretty incredible. I think it's over a thousand or two thousand right now. But we, we've tapped into some of the most influential people in the world and they're using us in their song lyrics. Um, they're using us to on Twitter and Instagram to give money away to people. Um, they're, they're, they're just talking about us nonstop. And that, and that has been a huge, huge boon for um, our growth and our usage. And we're also seeing just a lot of people who are struggling with the financial system as is and want to move to something that's much more straightforward and easy. And um, we're, we benefit a lot still from these viral loops that are built into the to the peer, peer network. And that every every Friday during during payday, um, you see Cash App go um, straight to uh, to the top ten or even the top five because people are getting their paychecks. They're sending cash to friends or family. Those people may not have a Cash App account, and then they download it, uh, and then they discover. And this is part of the ecosystem model. More of you know the other services like investing, like uh, like Bitcoin and, and like the cash card. Um, so that model has proven to work out um, quite well. And um, we're still serving in underserved. We are serving in underbanked uh, as well, or in unbanked. Um, but we've we've tapped into a lot of the cool, and we've tapped into a lot of the culture, and our brands reflect that. Um, and our, our goal here is to look very, very different from a traditional bank, um, so that you know we're we're seen as fresh, uh, and we're seen as uh, and just really simple, simple utility. Yeah, 
my kids know about Cash App not because their dad studies it, because Robbie is singing about it in the song. So I totally <laughs> appreciate that. Um, so maybe I'm ready just to bring you into it, to bring some numbers into the conversation. I know maybe just go through some of the, the trends that you thought were interesting for us in terms of music growth picking up. And, and Jack sort of alluded to it, right? You started out with P2P as the as the customer acquisition product, but now it's you know spreading out through a lot of different things. So how do you think about the, the monetization and the engagement and customer acquisition versus LTV? That the same old CFO stuff we always ask you about. Yeah, I mean, look if you if you look at what's changed post COVID for Cash App, I think the way we think about driving the business is the same, which is expanding our reach to more and more customers and then deepening our engagement with those customers across the products that we serve. And we've seen improvement across both those areas, um, in, including in this COVID period. From a network reach perspective, we were at 24 million monthly actives as of December, which was a 60% year-over-year growth rate. But we had our highest um, months of new additions into our network in terms of new customers in both March and then again in April. And for our existing base of customers, we're seeing the strongest retention um, across, our, we're seeing strong retention across this customer base, even with COVID. And again, I think we're seeing opportunities to grow our base there because of how relevant Cash App is in the new forms of commerce, social giving, online tipping, et cetera, that are taking place right now whether it's plugins to the Spotify platform through Twitch, on Twitter, um, people find Cash App as a relevant place to go when they want to participate in new forms of commerce. And we're seeing that play out in terms of our reach for new customers. From an engagement perspective, once folks come in to our platform, we've got seven core products that we've expanded to over the past two to three years that we can offer them. Whether it's P2P, which is be, continues to be extremely relevant in this time where people are helping each other out, whether it's Cash Card where you can make immediate use of your funds, or the Boost product, which we feel is, in, is a really unique product in that it's instant rewards for a debit card, fractional investing with stocks, Bitcoin investing, direct deposit now, where we're again seeing an inflection around COVID where there's a real reason to bring your funds in, whether it's government stimulus funds, whether it's unemployment funds, or it's your regular paycheck. Um, and that's where we saw the 3X and 4X uplift from March to April around users and volume around direct deposit with the now 14 million enabled accounts. Um, and now most recently, we also launched cross-border between the US and UK with more features to come. And it's really because of that that we've continued to grow um, monthly transacting activity um, with Cash App customers, where in March and April, our customers are tra transacting pretty much every other day on average. Um, and our daily actives continue to grow even faster than our monthly actives. So you see these compounding effects of growing your reach, then growing the activity within that base of customers um, in terms of transactions on a monthly basis, and that leads to um, the monetization that we're seeing, where over 50% of our monthly active customers are monetized in a given month. And the ARPU that we generate from our customers has 2x in two years from 2017 to the end of 2019. 
So really strong fundamentals that we see as we look at the health and the flywheel within this ecosystem with Cash App across both efficient acquisition, strong paybacks on that acquisition, and then strong and, and growing ROI over time. Right. Well, that's great. That's a great update. I just had a couple more and then I'll let you guys go. Just, Dak, I've heard you talk a lot in the past about the importance of a distributed workforce. And you, you guys were pretty quick to move to work from home. Um, so I, I'm curious, sort of, what are you doing for employees today, right? And what does that mean longer term from Arita's world of margins and thinking about, you know, running the business differently? Yeah, we uh, we we mandated um, work from home early in March, um, as we we're seeing more and more of what was happening around the world, and specifically China. We we do manufacture in China, so we we had a lot of insight in terms of like what was going on on the ground and and whatnot. So we sent people home out of abundance of caution, and since we've been talking about decentralizing our workforce for for some time, we we're able to flip the switch, and it, it just worked. Uh, and it's been it's been pretty great. Um, and there are areas where we've seen increased productivity. There's areas where we you know have been challenged a little bit. Um, when schools closed, that added a whole new dimension where people had to adapt to a new routine. So you know we're we're now in that, and and uh, and our parents and the company are are handling it. Caregivers are handling it well. Um, but the the reason this was important to us before is because um, you know we. With a with a more distributed model, we we can get talent anywhere. There's a lot of folks out there that just do not want to move to San Francisco. They don't want to work in a big headquarters. They feel very comfortable working in a much smaller office or even at home. And uh, and and they would say no in the past um, because they built a lifestyle and they, they didn't want to change it. So the the you know the people that we can get with this model and and Cash App has actually um, been working on this model for for quite some time. So the most distributed team we have at the company. They're all around the world um, with, you know, uh, hotspots in Waterloo, Canada, and uh, Sydney, and, and Melbourne, Australia, um, but just all over. And um, we, we were able to learn quickly from how they've been operating for, for some time and, and just apply it to the whole company. And that's one of the things that I appreciate so much about what we built is we have two, you know, business units who are doing things slightly different. And we get to learn from each. And if there's any good ideas here, we can shift it over here and, and make it more of a company-wide thing. Um, so our capacity for learning and experimentation is quite high, even at the corporate level, um, which allows us to, I think, build a lot more agility and move much faster. So, um, you know, th this has taught us a lot. We proved that we could make it work. And I imagine it gives us a ton of optionality in the future, especially for our employees. Yeah. So maybe to close out with financials then, Amrita, just thinking about everything we talked about and balancing the short term with the long term on revenue as well as to protect the bottom line as well. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, even in this new world, we remain focused on driving long term profitable growth and compounding that growth over time. Um, we're seeing in, you know, from a COVID impact perspective, different aspects play out across the seller ecosystem and the cash app ecosystem. From a cash app perspective, um, we are expected to grow over well over 100% in April. Um, so we're seeing real tailwinds in this business and we've got incremental, um, you know, positive, healthy incremental margins from a cash app perspective. So as we scale that business, we wanna to continue to invest 
to keep that flywheel going with efficient network acquisition, increasing ARPU, strong retention, et cetera. From a seller perspective, though, obviously the seller business has been incredibly impacted by COVID. Um, you know, with April gross profit, we expect to be down in the in the 30 35% range year over year. We are seeing improving trends here. Um, and we talked earlier about seeing the shifts of new customers coming in from legacy platforms. We saw our strongest monthly growth for inbound leads to our sales team from those sellers, where shelter-in-place is actually a really interesting opportunity for them to transition to a new platform. Um, and so we're seeing signs of wanting to lean in here, whether it's in marketing or in sales, and obviously continuing from a product perspective to build out these ecosystems. We're going to be disciplined as we do that. We're going to continue to look at ROI and efficiency metrics. And we did evaluate a portion of our um, discretionary spend to pull that back, as we mentioned on our earnings call. Um, so we'll be efficient here and disciplined, but continuing to invest to drive long-term growth. Yeah, no, this is great. We're almost out of time, so I guess I'll just ask one more. I was hoping to ask you about crypto. Yeah, we'll, we'll save that for another day. And I guess just with the, it's not enough time to talk about it, although I'd love to hear your perspective one day, zoom in on that. But just this whole economic empowerment thing and, you know, feels like there's a lot of energy around it and this inflection point is really critical to the company's point to lean in now. Talk to us about sort of your energy and the firm's energy and how that feels relative to past cycles of the company, whether it be going to the IPO versus when it started up. Like, how would you, you know, um, describe that energy level if that question makes sense? Yeah, um, I would say that this, uh, you know, events like this just make very tangible our purpose and our mission. So, you know, it, it, it just increased people's urgency around why we're here and what we're doing, and both seller and cash kind of immediately shifted into a gear to protect our sellers and protect individuals and make sure that they are, we're doing everything that we're able to, to help them thrive. So, you know, missions and purpose tend to be these abstract, intangible things oftentimes and so far away from your, your day to day. But when something like COVID occurs and you have the whole world focused on solving one problem, it becomes very real very quickly, especially when it affects you personally because you might have to work from home with your kids uh, and you can't go to your favorite restaurants and you can't um, go outside and congregate in the park. So it, it just, you know, you feel it. And um, that, that feeling inspires you to like work as hard as possible to get out of it and to help others get out of it as well. So I, I think, um, the, the energy level is high. It's unfortunate that we can't like feel the vibrations with everyone in the same office, but it's also a, an opportunity. I mean, when we were right before this, you said your 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 son might come in and ask for his iPad back. You you have these experiences where you only hear stories of people's families. You only hear stories of people's lives, and now you actually see it. You see kids on all these hangout calls and blue jeans and zooms and. You just said you you had so much dimensionality to every single person. I think that builds a lot of empathy. Um, I, I think it, it just it just helps us realize you know we're we're kind of all in this together and, and we're all struggling a little bit, but we have something bigger than us that we have to work towards, and uh, and we're we're seeing the results. So it's been it's been incredible um, to to help to help serve in the way that we can. Good, not good stuff. Well said.
again, I know how busy y'all are, and hopefully we'll have you back next year in person. Um, in person. So I can shake you guys' hands and uh, give each other some high fives. So appreciate your time, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate your time.